This week's Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment online with over a gabillion titles in pretty much every genre you could imagine. Go to audible.com slash Jeff Rubin for a free audiobook download of your choice and a free 30-day trial. One book you might want to consider just because it's thematically relevant to today's conversation is Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World by Jane McGonigal. This is a book about why games make us better and uh, what games do for society. Uh, if you're going to listen to an hour, more than an hour, I think, about Monopoly, uh, odds are you'd enjoy this book, too, and you can listen to it for free if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash Jeff Rubin. All right, here's the episode. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today I am talking to Jesse Fuchs, an adjunct professor at the NYU Game Center. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks. So Jesse kind of uh, got on my radar because Eric Zimmerman, who has previously been on the show twice, actually, another professor from the NYU Game Center, um, I follow on Twitter, and at some point he linked to a speech that Jesse gave called Does Monopoly Suck? And it was an hour-long speech that uh, Jesse gave, and I said... That's something I'd love to talk about for an hour. So here we are. We're talking about it. And uh, kind of before we get into does Monopoly suck, mm-hmm. uh, just can you talk a little bit about what you what you do at NYU and just your history and everything that happened before you gave that speech about Monopoly? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I, yeah, I'm an adjunct at NYU at the Game Center. I was hired by Eric and Frank Lance uh, and brought in to help with the Games 101 class. Um, Originally to do uh, part of the lecture on modern board games with Eric and simulations with Eric. Uh, and now he's doing all the simulation one and I'm doing the entire uh, modern board game. And if you guys haven't listened to the episode with Eric, I can't remember the episode number. It's probably like 10 or 20 ago. Uh, you got to go listen to it. Cause the NYU Game Center is this, just real quick for the people that didn't listen yes. to that one. And you yeah. really got to go back and listen. It's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, is a program at NYU where they study, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, the creation and uh, criticism and just everything about games, creating, producing, um, and critiquing them, right? I believe those were the three yeah, yeah. areas, I mean, as I recall. It's, it's probably more or less parallel to a film program. Exactly, where you can, right. You can make films, you talk about films, you you think about films. And we discussed yeah. this in depth with Eric. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back. Just, just so you have some background about what we're mm-hmm. talking about here. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, no, no. no. So, so, yeah, my position there uh, is... Everyone, everyone who teaches there plays every kind of game, and that's one of the points of the NYU Game Center is that, you know, even those of us, uh, I was always a big baseball fan and I never paid attention to other sports. Now I'm paying attention to other sports more because I feel somewhat responsible for, you know, uh, understanding why people like them and liking them more myself if it's in me, if I just haven't been paying enough attention. And that's one of the cool things, I think, about the program is yeah. that you guys do – I think most people assume you're, we're talking about video games, but there's also board games, there's sports, just any yeah. type of competitive – Artificial yeah, yeah, rule set uh, where people are competing. There, there is there's an interesting tension because sort of the principle of the game center is games are games are games, uh, but it clearly wouldn't exist if video games weren't this sort of dominant cultural for like you know it wouldn't be like the sports would be in American studies or cultural studies mm-hmm. or something and the board games would not be there probably, um, but so teaching the games 101 class you know the the focus on video games and board games and it's always this sort of constant balance, um, but. I, I help curate the board game library. I run a Dominion night during the school year. So, yeah, why'd you start digging into Monopoly? I started digging into Monopoly. My, 
I'm interested in all sorts of games. I, I love video games, I love board games, etc. My main interest, I guess, is in sort of traditional folk games and also just sort of the game systems. Now, folk games. What does folk games mean? Folk. I mean, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, like my friend Doug Wilson, who did uh, JS Joust, which is that Sony Move controller, mm-hmm. uh, like sort of no screen acrobatic kind of like you're pushing other people. Ga- like he's very f- focused on physical folk games. He knows a lot of other ones as well. I tend to focus on. There's a website, Paget.com, uh, which is every card game ever invented with a traditional deck of cards, basically. Um, and uh, when I was a kid, I would even try to find obscure books of weird games you can play with a regular deck of cards or dice or whatever. I was always interested in it. it you know, I think maybe you have one smart original thought in your childhood. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it, yeah. it occurred to me that... Um, that a deck of cards was like a guitar, which I was very bad at, but mm-hmm. or a banjo or whatever was lying around the house. Um, in that, you know, it's an instrument, and you can play a lot of different in a lot of different keys on it. And that's a neat thing about having this tiny object, where if you know how to play poker and bridge and hearts and euchre and cribbage and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and I feel weirder like, I feel like you could have just done that for the rest of the hour. Just yes, yes, it would have been. Uh, yeah. Or war, or old <laughs> So folk games are just kind sort of these games that, like, like folk songs right. where, like, they just kind of always been with us. They were never, like... Yeah, or that identifying a single creator, and this is where Monopoly is interesting, because it's an auteur game that becomes a folk game that becomes sort of a corporate game that becomes sort of a variant home folk... So, you know, I mean, it goes through all the iterations. Um, I would say, broadly, I would define a folk game as one that is not and I mean this in quotes, intelligently designed. Mm -hmm. In the sense, like, if you think of an evolutionary context, like, Klaus Tuber intelligently designed Settlers of Guitar. Like, he went through his own iterations of it. He probably made conceptual leaps uh, and said, okay, this is the game I want. Um, Whereas a folk game is one that spreads like a word. You know, like, we use, flippant used to mean something positive. You know, and then someone probably did something bad who was called flippant, and, like, the word gradually turned into having have a negative connotation because people just vote with how they talk. So Monopoly and, and, right, no used one, to the be... The Ouija board, sorry. Oh, so no, we're just saying? making an analogy of like, it's like a Ouija board where no one feels like they're pushing it into a particular direction, a folk game. It just sort of naturally, certain facets become more popular mm-hmm. because that's how it mutates and spreads around. Almost like a gene. Yeah, it, yeah. or a virus. I think it's a, it's, depending it, on it's which a, context the, you want The mimetic you know, right. metaphor is a pretty good one when it comes to these games because you can identify like the uh, auction rule in Modern Monopoly is like this vestigial organ that you can identify as being there because it made sense at a certain point. I always assumed, I just, it just seemed logical that Monopoly probably had this terribly evil origin where like, uh, just, because the game is so, right. so, it's just so capitalistic, I guess. Right. So I just always assumed that there was some weird story about the origin and watching your speech, I learned that was correct. In a way, well, the, right, that, Corporate monopoly, monopoly right. as made right, by so Parker let's, Brothers. Let's go back. So right, right, right. Where, where does the where does the tree begin? What are the roots of the, the tree? The tree begins ultimately with a, a woman named Lizzie McGee, who is sort of an interesting Bohemian uh, who lived uh, in near a Quaker community. Uh, was like an actress that was like uh, dress up in drag and like just see, like. I don't know much about her, but she broadly seems like an interesting, fun person. And what basically. year is this? 19, well, she invents the game around 1902, 1903. Okay. Right. So just sort of a smart, odd, interesting person. Uh, and it's not, you know, there before this, and I've tried to find stuff, and if it's out there, I'd be, it'd be awesome to see, but there's not Monopoly, or what she comes up with as the Landlord's Game, or Landlord's, or maybe calls Monopoly, it's a little blurry, um, is pretty original. 
like the original version is kind of clunky and there's definitely a lot of things that are different and it's kind of, you know, amphibious. You can see its relation more maybe to older, dumb sort of shoots and ladders type roll and move games. Um, so those, those games are old, like shoots and ladders. How far does that game go back? Yeah, that, I mean, that it's called Snakes and Ladders. In other countries, it goes back to India, like, I'm bad with dates, but either 5th century or 15th century AD. Okay. So number five. But, but I was, I, old, I, I, right. might have thought, I wasn't right. sure if it was like 1800 or something. So we're right. talking like another millennium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and every, I mean, the roll and move game, one thing I, I'm interested in here uh, is just sort of these generic sort of things that, that you know, humanity has in common. And the roll and move game is weirdly one of these things that if your culture has games that are not physical games, if it has, you know, sedentary games, you will have the roll and move game. Yeah, they go back to like ancient Egypt, right? Yeah, they go back everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's the same, like every culture that starts flipping lots or doing some, taking a bone and saying, if it comes up heads, God likes you more. If it comes up tails, God likes me more. Whatever sort of fate divination, um, you know, die rolling kind of thing they come up with, you just see this inevitable evolution of it into well let's make it two out of three or you know three out of five and then you start keeping track maybe with pegs in the ground and then those pegs become the focus and all of a sudden you have a roll and move game and you have your little avatar that you're moving along this so all these cultures develop that separately yeah like it's if you have dice at all if you have any sort of non-physical game you'll basically have that game but lizzie yeah added money Added yeah, resources. added a lot of things. Right, added resources. This is a big, right, that you would have these games where you have a piece and you move around a track. She added, I mean, it's hard to find one where you're even going around more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, she added, you know, and, and, and nowadays it's infinite. You go around as many times as you go around. And this is why I meant about being sort of, you can see the amphibious kind of in-between stage where in the original game, um, it didn't end with everyone else being bankrupted. It was actually gentler, her first version. And she has two versions, and I'll get into that. But her first version, it ends when everyone's gone around the board five times. Mm-hmm. So the idea of that it still being good. a tra- Yeah, and you count your money and your properties, and you have these interesting... You, If you land on the luxury space, it's not a tax. It's you can spend 50 bucks and you get a luxury card, and then at the end of the game, that's worth 60 bucks. Right. But you don't have access to that money. So there's little clever... Yeah. You, you can teleport between railroads. So that's the first board game... That makes sense thematically that the railroads should be able to take I mean, you see a lot of, right, yes. So that's the first board game or one of the first major board games that you know of where there's resources, where there's like something that's not on the board that is being traded separately. Yeah, I mean, it is big and I've looked for it and I haven't found, like, like, it It seems like there should be something in between. I haven't been able to find it. And it seems like she was... It, the satire or whatever she was trying to do doesn't come through, but I think she a lot of the original ideas came from her looking at the world, like the railroads, or just like a lot of it was, okay, I want to make a roll and move game, but let's make it about sort of a simulation. Was it, I mean, so when someone made a board game in the 1900s, like how many did they make? Like how many did they sell? Well, that's right. I mean, this is a game that she made by hand and that she also made, and this is sort of disputed and I'm still trying to dig up the right information, that she also made the game we would more consider Monopoly now that does have the grouped properties that mm-hmm. increase in value when you buy a group and you can build things on and et cetera, et cetera. It's not totally clear if she came up with that independently and was like less interested in it and just other people kind of ran with that ball um, or if it was a recent mutation after she came up with hers. But it was very much that kind of like people would see it, they'd draw their own board. I mean, very easy game to mimic. You just need some paper, you draw a board, you name it your own spaces. Uh, well, you we've see seen ones. a lot of, uh, you know, yeah. like everything Opoly now. So... I, one thing I noticed, this is the Landlord's game. This is like mm-hmm. the thing. And I noticed, I looked at the box of it, and 
it's on. The, she is on at least the one edition that I saw the box of. She's on the cover. It's like, what's her name? Lizzie McGuire? Lizzie McGee. Lizzie yes, McGee. Which is very close, yes. Uh, Lizzie McGee is on the cover. I know yeah, it's not yeah. Lizzie McGuire. Lizzie McGee is on. It's like Lizzie McGee's The Landlord yeah, yeah. Game, which is unusual or surprised me because I associate that with these newer Renaissance mm-hmm. European games where you see Klaus Teuber's name is on the cover of Catan and Donald X. Vaccaro's name is on the cover of Dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was surprised to see this early 1900s monopoly with uh, the author with the creator's name on it. I think that is a common... Well, right. The land, There's many... This is incredibly confusing, sorry, because I'm going to talk about eight different games maybe that all have the same name or something. Mm-hmm. So so basically, she was pretty entrepreneurial. Like, you'll find, like, she licensed this game idea to a British company that had a game called, like, Brer Fox and Brer Hound, which was some satire of British things I don't understand, but, you know, it was basically the same game with some different cards. Um, um, and the, I'll, let me get to that because I'll, the middle part is kind of the, you know, so, so it mutates away, it gets into other people's hands, it basic and, and as it's mutating through sort of this folk culture, uh, it gets in the hands of a lot of like smart ass liberal arts students on the East coast who are majoring in economics and like mm. sort of sympathetic with Lenin or something, you know, like it becomes harsher and meaner because it kind of becomes the grand theft audit, like the look how mean we can be to each other. Game. Right, right. And, and yeah. Well, you mentioned satirical that mm-hmm. she had some satirical intentions or you, that she might've had satirical intentions. Right, when right. She did it. So do you, do you think that was the point Was she like trying? Cause I think right. people try look at that game as like a statement or, or you could look at it as a statement on capitalism or a statement on, you could probably read lots of things into it. Yeah. Yeah. Was that her intention? Or was she just like, it this will be fun. It seems like, it definitely was later in her later iterations. The first one, it just seems like maybe, I mean, there was enough original ideas that she just might not have had control of her metaphor mm-hmm. in some way. And like, who knows? She was definitely interested in this stuff. She was interested in Henry George's sin- single land tax theory is a big facet of her life. Henry George was basically, it's it's a, relatively intelligent crackpot theory uh sort of makes sense where basically every all the taxes should be just land because that's the one thing they ain't making more of and having a monopoly on that sort of etc etc um so that was a thing at the turn of the century that was the she was living on or near a georgia's community that basically did that and Mm -hmm. and seemed to work okay i mean who knows if it scales um but she you know there was definitely ideology alongside it and in fact the reason she seems less interested in what more became monopoly where you have the cutthroat bankrupt building houses and et cetera, et cetera, is because that wasn't making the point she was trying to make exactly. Uh, and so she kept working on sort of these parallel versions of the landlord's game, licensing it, making versions. And then the ones you saw probably came from, you know, this is a combination of her being ahead of her time as being sort of an auteur and also kind of getting screwed by Parker Brothers because those versions were probably ones that were made by Parker Brothers who bought her old patent to, I, I don't need to get too far into the skullduggery here. Mm. There's a book by Ralph Onspock called like The Great Monopoly Swindle, or so you can find it on Kindle. Uh, he's the guy who dug up all this information. Just in the go 70s. to your home library, go right to the Onspock section. It's probably already yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's a very entertaining book. And if you're interested in just sort of the skullduggery of how this folk game basically vanished without a trace because Parker Brothers, you know, had this This is kind this of the big, shadiness I was yeah, alluding yeah, to earlier. Yeah, they... They sort of knew, you know, there were people who had tried to make commercial versions before, like someone actually tried to make a version called Monopoly, and they were told by their lawyer, no, that's obviously, everyone's played this public domain game, call it something else, so he called it Finance. Um, and that's the the commercial version where you actually see kind of the, the what I as a game designer might consider peak folk Monopoly, the one that is the most cerebral and strategic. Oh, and cetera, what makes that different? Uh, yeah, the, the, the folk 20s, smart-ass liberal arts version, 
the things I really like about it, or the main thing, is that there is no buying property. Mm -hmm. There are actually no prices on the property other than the mortgage. The mortgage is all that matters uh, because the mortgage value is the floor of whatever you would pay for it because you could always just flip it for that amount later okay. if, as long as you have the money. But anytime you land on a space, um, you have no uh, special right over it. It just goes up for auction. And the, the beginning of the game, it's a little like Settlers of Catan where you sort of scatter the different hexes to randomize how things oh, go. Oh, okay. The first couple of times around the board where you're auctioning off the properties, it's just sort of this randomizer of like what order are the properties going to go out this time. But it doesn't matter who lands on it because anyone has a, has a chance to get it. Now, that might be too sort of bloodless and strategic. You could find a compromise between that and kind of the quote-unquote dumbed-down version you find today. Um, but that is what that is the core rule that makes it a way that version stands up with the Euro games of today mm -hmm. pretty well. So have you played all these versions? I've not played all. The problem with being obsessed with a board game is that you have to have other people who yeah, are as that, obsessed that was my with not just board games, but that particular. You know, and that's a funny thing if about. If you're like, right. like I'm not interested in playing Monopoly. Let, let's, right. let me just put that up front. Like, I, I, I hate Monopoly. I think it's fascinating. I love, I'm, right, I'm, right. I'm here, but I should probably put that out there. Is like, I don't enjoy Monopoly. I right. never want to play it. So if you were like, oh no, we don't want. I, I'd love to play Monopoly. Oh, not Monopoly. We're playing the early 1900s version of Monopoly before they before they worked out some of the kinks. I right, mean, right, right. The uh, it's a tough sell. It's, yeah. And so, but think, you have played some of them. Yes, I, I, I have friends who have. I've basically played yeah, you're that part of the ideal game center, version. Like, if right. anyone's going to have friends that are willing to do yeah, this. Yeah, and, and uh, I did a talk about this with an ex exhibition about economic games at Baby Castles uh, when they had a, a show space. And um, I, there was a handmade old-timey Monopoly board for that that we had out. So we have that down at the game center. And occasionally I can rope people into to playing old-timey Monopoly. How's which the, is, How yeah. does Landlord's game hold up? The Landlord's game is, is more interesting. I mean, it's got a lot of good ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it's slow, and again, you're going around five times. If you like roll-and-move games, which I do have a soft spot for, it's pretty fun and playable. What's a good roll-and-move like, roll game? Um, I think Klaus Tuber, when he was on, mentioned Formula D, which is the mm -hmm. German racing game, which is, I mean, I a, a race car game is kind of the perfect simulation for a strategic roll-and-move game. Um, you have, and it's clever, you have the different sort of the D&D polyhedrals being the different gears of the car. Mm -hmm. So it's a very intuitive sort of like, the faster you go, the faster you can go, but there's more randomness and you're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. Um, there's other... Uh, Talisman is not a good game exactly, but it is a fun game. It's sort of the D&D &D nerd monopoly. It goes on forever, but it's, but if you like crafting a story around a game as you're playing it with your friends and drinking beer and pretzels, etc., um, there's uh, actually a course I'm teaching next semester on the game designer Vlada Havadiel. I will never pronounce that right. What is that? Czech Slovakian game designer who who made Mage Knight and Dungeon. I've heard Pets of Mage Knight. Mage Knight's supposed to be really good, but Mage Knight is amazing, and it's yes, and it is. Uh, I've heard uh, of Through yeah. the Ages too. If I've heard of it, it must be a board right, game. Right. Like, and he's I, a really I'm not reading yeah. board game magazine or anything. Like if it reach, you know, if it percolates so enough that I, I've heard of it, I generally like, oh, it must be a good one. He's a good guy to base a course around for reasons. All I mean, you know, he's done a lot of different. So there's games. a course just about a specific game designer. Yeah, well, oh, it's awesome. a bit of a bait and switch because it's it's also about leading people through Richard Garfield and his friends. Uh, textbook now richard garfield made, oh, made magic, magic the, the gathering. gathering and robo rally is he like yes. a great game designer yes too? he is because he didn't just stop there like mm -hmm. magic you know if you make ma like uh if you make magic you've won yeah like right on some that's level. as popular yeah. he created this whole new genre it was incredibly right. popular both as a fad but also 
long term. Like people are still playing yeah. it all the time. But I, uh, I've been lucky enough to interview him a few times, and he is. I mean, I really like him not just because he invented a great game, but he's invented many other very good to great games. Uh, King of Tokyo is probably his most recent really good one. His game Netrunner got rebooted recently, mm-hmm. which is great. And but he's a very good. He has his own podcast that he doesn't update very often, oh, I unfortunately. To that. I know that. But it's incredibly smart, and he's funny, and 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 is interested in playing other games. He Class? is a big. And he has even said nice things about Monopoly. Wow. He, he, in fact, is the one game designer I found who has said, look, I know it has its flaws, but, you know, A, B, C. Uh, Klaus, I feel like the same thing. Klaus, as I recall, he won two Spiel des Jahres. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won the, you know, the most prestigious board game design award, I think, twice before even designing Catan. So yeah. uh, another prolific kind of just didn't, like... I don't know. I guess you see that in music. You see more, like, one-hit wonders, but maybe these guys... Right. You find more... I mean, I do... We'll get back to Monopoly. I mean, in, in game design, generally, you do find the people who play lots of other people's games and the people who play only their own games. Mm. Like Rainer Knizia. is His games are interesting, but they're often kind of bloodless and sort of uh, off in his own head, you get the sense, because they he plays mostly his own games. It's so interesting. You yeah. can, I feel like there, it's, it's the same with music and movies, that you can see... You know, I'm guessing, right. but like you can tell some musicians who listen who listen to other musicians also fans for some musicians. Some, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and like I think the new Daft Punk album is like you know like draw like very specifically yes. references and draws from like a lot of weird obscure things. Like these guys love music. Yes, the, the, the albums, whatever. All right, back to Monopoly. Yeah, back to Monopoly. So, uh, so. Well, but there is a good right. The answer to does Monopoly suck is it depends on what version you're talking oh. about. And you know that was sort of the point of the talk in some way. Uh, in a in a broad conceptual sense, is getting at the idea that there's one true version of a game, or certainly certain games, and that you know people should adapt these things for their own purposes, and they should not regard there as being any authority to official monopoly. And it was almost a reaction. You know, one thing that got me started on it was um, seeing people who are like getting mad at other people for not playing exactly by the rules of Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of understood why, because often the people's variations were terrible or, or or just sort of typical amateur game design things of like put money under free parking because it's fun, because getting money is fun. Unfo- but if you think three moves along, yes, that's also going to make the game extend another five hours, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, so it seems like you almost, correct me if I'm wrong, like you, you're... You're almost. It seems like you don't hate Monopoly because it allows people to do that, and that experience of making your own rules is like important and interesting in and of itself. I think. Well, if you're talking about that central like corporate Monopoly, which I'll call it, you know, I, one reason I like it is because I think that's it's, what we're it's talking. such like, a broken game that it forces people, like D and D, in a way, yeah. like you know, you have to make your own rules for this. And and in some ways it's often the first, and it's very malleable and it's, you know, and, that and seems Monopoly, like, that seems yeah. like more of a silver lining than a reason to. It is. Although I think that there's something about, you know, I've talked to people about their childhoods and like playing Monopoly uh, against their sister and it not when just exchanging money with each other and having it go on forever. Cause it's more like a virtual dollhouse. It's almost mm. like you're playing animal crossing as right. a board game. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Or people, you know, who who would mathematically analyze it on their own. Like, I, there's a lot you can do with it. But, right, as a, the basic argument people have of, like, Jesus Christ, why aren't you playing Settlers of Catan or Dominion or whatever instead of this game? If you take this game as being standard, you know, mm-hmm. what we think of as Monopoly, they're right. I mean, yeah, great. All right, good. These games are better. Well, but, let yeah. me ask you, what, um, 
first of all, thank you so much for doing so much research on previous guests of the show. I'm very impressed. Um, we also had one where we had a professional Scrabble player, Matt Graham, mm-hmm. and he talked about kind of what broke Scrabble, like how Scrabble became, went from being, you know, just another board game to something everyone knows the rules of that's in one of three households or whatever it is. Um, and it was basically one guy who did it. Like, there was, like, I don't know, he ran the Sears catalog or the some catalog, and, mm-hmm. like, he played it at a lake one year, and he was like, this is great. It's going in all my catalogs. And, like, you know, 10 years later, everyone knows what a double word square, everyone knows a triple letter square is. How did that work for Monopoly? When did Monopoly go from the landlord's game to this uh, kind of shady past to, like, you know, everyone knows what chance is, everyone knows what community chest is? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to say because... Or was there a, it was thing? folk history, and B, it was folk history that people intentionally tried to cover up at some point. So, you know, I would say that from the 1910 to 1930 area, um, it seemed to have spread pretty far west and was something, it's, it's hard to say how many people would know of it, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was certainly a popular folk game um, that, you know, would pop up places and become like a regional hit, but you would have to make your own board or someone would, you know, run off a hundred of them and sell them to their friends, which is how Charles Darrow started. So just to close the loop on this history Mm -hmm. thing, we haven't even mentioned Charles Darrow or we haven't really talked about it. So what did Charles Darrow do or allegedly do or seem to do? No, what he, this is the thing is that the, he was such a bastard that he gets underrated in some ways now by the people who sort of know the story because he did, you know, what happened is he is a friend of a friend who of a Quaker, which is why all these spaces on official Monopoly have Atlantic City uh, towns on them because the Quakers happened to have been in Atlantic City for a while. Now they were down in Pennsylvania. They, they made the board with that. Um, and some friend of a friend invited him over to play it. And, you know, he gets a glint in his eye, basically, and is like, hey, this game's great. Like, can you have your secretary write me up 10 copies of the rules? The guy's like, okay. Um, guy, you know, gives him 10 copies of the rules. Up until the, that yeah. part, very similar to the other story, just like the right guy finding it and being yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah. We, can, we can run with this. I mean, he, I think he's, I mean, I think the story of him, like, he's an unemployed plumber or whatever during the Depression. This is all, tr- like, he's definitely a guy who's looking for something to do. Um, and... It's not, I mean, you. if you go, there used to be a, uh, the Forbes Museum down on 12th and 5th-ish that would have all the original Monopoly boards. So mm-hmm. I, one thing was it was a stroke of luck. When I started researching this, I was like, well, clearly I have to look into this because I can actually access these. And they're kind of beautiful. Um, the folk boards, too, uh, from before this, but Darrow didn't seem to be a professional graphic designer in any capacity whatsoever, but even the very first round circular, like just on his kitchen table thing he drew with like a question mark that's all deformed, still pops. It pops in a way that these previous boards don't. It kind of is like, you know, Mondrian for the common man kind of vibe to it. Um, And you can see that even his first handmade boards after that, like they look good. And you can see there's a reason this game has gotten a little slicker in his hands. when you look at the original rules that he wrote up with his first handwritten copies, it actually still has this auction rule. Mm-hmm. So it's still the cerebral hard game that, you know, and one thing to say about that auction rule is if you hate Monopoly, it makes it a lot quicker. Oh, uh, well, let's, let's talk about right. the auction rule real quick. Because right. au- this, this comes up, I feel like I notice right. it like every year or two, it goes around the internet like, right. hey, everyone's playing Monopoly wrong. Because right. um, I think the common way most of us grew up playing Monopoly does not involve this rule, even though it is in the rule book. It's in the rule book going back to the 30s. What is the auction rule? Okay. The auction rule in modern Monopoly, right? In modern Monopoly, you can buy properties when you land on them. If you don't buy it, it then goes up for auction, 
and everyone can bid on it. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's a reason why this has fallen by the wayside. Most people don't play it, which is that it's very rare in modern Monopoly that you're not going to buy something because mm -hmm. the prices are so low relative to the amount of money you've been given at the beginning that it's not much of a choice. Right. Right? This, is, this is, if I were to point it as a game designer, kind of what breaks Monopoly. It, it, like If you want to play a much better game and change as little as possible Mon Monopoly, just take 500 bucks away from everyone at the beginning. Mm, that's interesting. And you it, do, right. it is a no-brainer. You want to buy everything right. when you land on it, if no matter what. If you play it with the, you can buy things, but if you don't, they go up for auction. And everyone starts with $1,000 instead of 1500 it becomes a pretty interesting game mm -hmm. because pretty rapidly you actually start having to make decisions about, do I buy it? Do I let it go for auction? Try to drain money out of other people? I mean, the auction rule also yeah. seems just difficult for children. I imagine oh, a lot yeah. of games no, are not played why, with the family. You know? This is why. It, and, and was board gaming always like that? Was board like in the 30s or right. in the 1900s? Like, was it always a family pastime or was it something like adults would do before we had you know television yeah, and movies I, and whatnot? I think if you, I think when you trace a different version of Monopoly, you can see that adaptation. Like, you know, when it's the smart-ass liberal art student game it's very it is cerebral and complicated mm -hmm. and clearly satirical and like in the it written up introduction it says this is about the theory of general property and etc you know brings up the guy from the movie reds um and then yeah the quakers introduced the buying things rule right they and and when you see this is where maybe i differ as a game designer from the more historical people because when they look at this introduction of you can buy things for twice their mortgage value is the original way the rule is written. Even mm. in the early Parker Brothers editions, they it, they haven't wrapped their head around the idea that this is now the real price of the property, that the sale value is the price. So it still is, you have the option to buy it for twice its mortgage value. Do you have a copy of the Landlord's Game? Like, can you get one on eBay? Are there a lot of them? There aren't that. I mean, I have is it like, like Action Comics PDFs number one? PDFs I've printed out right. where I can, yeah. Is yeah. it like Action Comics number one, though? Is it like very valuable? Yeah, to uh, definitely the like handcrafted boards are all one of a kind. I mean, the, right. And the the ones that McGee, that Parker Brothers printed up for McGee the, and kind of buried. Like mm -hmm. they basically made a deal with this woman of like after. So let's get back yeah, to Darrow Yeah, let's get here. back to this. So, so, so yeah, the, the, the Darrow thing is basically he starts uh, making this game himself just to sell copies. Uh, and it, it, again, it starts with this auction rule. And then quickly, I guess he realizes, yeah, this is a little hard for people. And I want to sell a lot of these. So he introduces the rule the Quakers had for their kids, mm -hmm. you know, make it a more accessible game, which is you can buy it for twice its value. And again, as a game designer, like if they had set it to three times its value, like you, they weren't wrong in what they were trying to do by any means, but they definitely swung the pendulum very far in the other direction, which is what ironically made it explode in popularity because people were up for kind of a long, you know, narcotizing experience right. during the Great Depression about, you know, uh, rolling dice and collecting money, mm -hmm. you know, and it definitely goes back to, you know, this is the divinatory roll and move, you know, sort of vague superstitions around the dice casting your face, et cetera, of that era. You know, all wrapped around money. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess if you look at, like, some of those old board game commercials, they do have elements of, like, fortune telling. I'm not even talking about, like, a Ouija board, but I think, mm -hmm. like, uh, like life or, uh, like, dream date or whatever. Right, like, right, I think right. th there's an implication. Like, y if you get, like, this game will tell you if you're going to find a cool boyfriend, you know? Like, as opposed yes. to it's just a game where you find a fictional cool yeah, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. There is some little part in all of our reptiles' brain, reptile right, brains. Right, exactly. That definitely respond. And that is, I think, this is one thing that, that guy I'm doing the course on, Vladis Shavadal, exploits a lot in very funny ways, where he will have cards and games that, like, there's a Lucky Clover in his sort of adventure uh, game that's not Mage Knight. And the Lucky Clover, as it says in rule books, you know, it gives you good luck. 
and that's all. It doesn't oh, actually have any fun. in-game effect. That's a lot of fun, right? though. But he just says, like, this, you know, it will help you win, and if Got it doesn't, it will give you I good luck. I want to learn the rules yeah. of that game and get that card. And, it's a very, and, and then there's the mummy card, which will give you a treasure, but then he says the treasure is cursed. And I've actually been in the game, and, like, my reptile brain would not let me take the that's treasure so card. That's so just That's great. Yeah. That's really fun. And, and, yeah, that's one thing that I think, Monop- I mean, a lot of these games, luck is good in games to some extent. You know, Settlers is kind mm-hmm. of a perfect blend of skill and luck yeah. in that way. And Dominion as well. You know, a lot well, of Well, Settlers games and are... Dominion, they let you, like, adjust your luck and control for your luck. And I guess all yes. games do to yes. some extent, but I think those games have particularly good mechanics for it. Right. I mean, they definitely feel like you've got, you know, it's a little like Mario Kart. You've got some control of this car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're barreling down. Like, Dominion often feels like you've got a jalopy that right, you're desperately right. kind to keep on track. Like, pieces falling off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Monopoly... I think just what happened, and this is something actually you can see happen to a lot of folk games. They become super popular when someone kind of swings What's the What's another example of a folk game that's become super popular? Battleship. Oh, right. The original Battleship, Battleship like is paper. mind-bending. And it's, it's pen and paper, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, didn't they play it? I, I like read mm-hmm. the Wikipedia article that once like five years ago. It was like a prison thing or yeah, something, yeah, right? Yeah, they played it in yeah. prisons. In, I think, POW camps in World War One, And in the original rules, you, you get either three shots or as many shots as you have boats. And mm-hmm. the other person tells you how many hit, but not, like, which ones are where. So it's got that, like, Sudoku, yeah, like, you fun. don't know which is. Like, if they all miss, that's actually good because you at least know, okay, right, X, right. X, 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 X. If you hear one destroyer, like. I mean, I guess, I guess if you're being right. held prisoner in World War One, exactly. it's no, worse it's a, I worse mean, It works for different skill levels. And it's, it, 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 it's just another example of, like, who would have guessed? Swung the pendulum so far in the direction right. of children that it becomes, like, there's. It'd be good to find that point in between. I'd love to tell those World War One POWs mm-hmm. what a great movie Battleship <laughs> became just 75 years or whatever it is later. It's it, they, they took what what they created and just extrapolated into this incredible film. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, never, have you seen the movie? Are you that into games I, that you saw in the Battleship no, movie? No, I You draw I the line there? would. I mean, it looks amusing. I, yeah, 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 I've heard but of that. I don't think it'd give me more insight into the game. <laughs> I, I doubt it. But, you know, just as, uh, like, uh, as a, someone cultural. who studies games, like you were saying, you have right. to learn other sports besides baseball. Right. You know, Hasbro, I don't want to get too far off track on this, but Hasbro uh, is... Making a lot of movies now, not just one movie. They're making yeah. a lot, including Monopoly, the movie, I believe. I'll be, yeah. It, it, if if I had heard that, I mean, Battleship's a pretty abstract game, right? Yeah. I mean, the Monopoly movie, at least, will be interesting because I study this, but also because there's a lot of thematic stuff going on in Monopoly. It'll be yeah. interesting. It's more culturally. Like, Battleship's a decent game, but it's a puzzle game. I mean, it'd be like making the Tetris movie. Like, whatever. It'll have something. Don't give anyone any ideas. Yeah. A lot yeah. of very powerful that. Hollywood executives listen to this podcast. I want to get back to one more thing about the exploding mm-hmm. popularity of the game. You huh. mentioned briefly in your speech, and I was like, I want if I'm there, I never ask questions. I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I just, I think most people don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're a professor. You know what happens. Uh, <laughs> but this I really wanted to hear more about. You briefly mentioned that uh, you thought the gold standard and moving away from the gold standard might have played a part. Right. I w- explain explain what's going on. No, here. that's that. I mean, this that's often the more speculative realm. But that's right? what I, lo- I love. Right, I love. Right, I, love right. it, I mean, basically, it, it did tie into that. Like, I'm I'm pretty attuned to that idea of these roll and move games having these these primal origins of like you know seeing how the fates will decide. I mean. You're literally, you know, the word lot, right, literally comes from, like, casting lots. And the reason that property is called lots is because you would draw lots to see who gets which property. Property is called lots in real life or Monopoly? Yes, both. Okay, gotcha. Right. And you can buy a vacant lot. 
Okay. Right. Um, and in and in the landlord's game, you literally are drawing lots for lots. Like at the beginning, it, it's actually like that Monopoly variant where you each get dealt some property at the mm-hmm, beginning. Mm-hmm. In the very first game, it's the same thing. Of you're you're casting the lots, and you you see what comes up. And it and it and I definitely think that there's yeah always that like the original game of life before the spinny wheel one is is very much one of these um like telling you sort of how to ascend towards heaven and away from hell kind of games life is like the ultimate role i mean in my mind it's like the ultimate role because it's just like one two three four five six right you're married right one two three four your house burned down and if you find that fun which I can. I, I did mean, like it when I was a yeah, kid. But that, I, that's, did like I mean, there. I find these things. In, I mean, in some way, and I, think I don't it was mean just this. Funny. It was just like yeah. a, it's a lot of a lot of grist to chew on when you're like, you you, you can like, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, you're a policeman. That's right. kind of fun. And then like, well, someone like doesn't the, get married. The, There's the, a lot to talk about the when you're playing. Telling. I'm, yeah, I'm doing exactly. a little gesture with my the, hands. Um, the right. paper fortune tellers. Yeah, yeah. There's a name for those, isn't there? I don't know. Is it official name? Trademark. It's on the internet. I don't know. But you guys know we're talking. But right. I mean, there's a. I think this is something that's actually quite interesting that and and as someone studied games like choiceless games like Candyland or you know games mm. where there are no choices are kind of the E coli of game like they're very good to study because once you take choice out of the equation the question is what are people enjoying here mm-hmm. in the first place What's and a good you, one Candyland's Candyland's a great example I mean Candyland is a game that the way to improve Candyland is take any of the cards that make you go back and just burn them mm-hmm. any parents out there just uh, burn the cards that make you go back it's fine Isn't that the ones right. like cuz the the character cards will make you go back sometimes yes. so you got to yes. go to that character yes. or just change the rules or do something That licorice guy he yeah. creeped me out when I was a kid oh yeah no the different boards they they get anyway but but Candyland. i mean the thing to realize is Candyland is a game about learning how to play a game mm-hmm. like you don't win like the kid has a 50 50 chance of winning that's not the point the point is getting to the end without breaking any of the rules or crying mm-hmm. right which is in fact the exact point of mage knight the first three times i played that right because i did not succeed on that you know i did not make it to the end funny, yeah. i wasn't even trying to win i was just trying to not you know it was the game was an existential crisis because i didn't know what was going on and that is one thing that's interesting about board games, I think, as opposed to vi- video games, is that no matter how, you know, Dwarf Fortress is the most complicated game on earth, maybe, mm-hmm. but your failure at it does not actually put the very rules of the game into existential crisis. Right. Like, you like, don't have to hold that thing in your head. Yeah, like, if you're playing right. a board game, you're just like, are we even doing this right? Like, right. should we still, Did like, I win? Yeah. yeah there's right. Dwarf Fortress, it'll let you know when you lose. Like, right, right. There's an anecdote I tell at the beginning of that Games 101 lecture about playing uh, Agricola with my friends Zach and Rob and where at the end of the game Zach has won by a point until we clean up and find the card that actually is like oh if da 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 mm-hmm. oh Rob won by two points uh, and there's it's just that weird feeling of like okay yay like, right. yeah and 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 this is more responsibility right. yeah yeah and you have to hold the system in your head and I think that's one thing that makes people immersed in board games that are dopey and something you know that that these choices games are narratively compelling and that all of the old roll and move games you see like in the 19th century um they're beautiful like color lithography they're like the cd-roms of their day like like the new technology comes along color lithography you can make these amazing things commercial artists see a buck um and you get all these amazingly dumb amazing new beautiful games about getting from point a to point b Mm -hmm. and like you can see why they're compelling because you can tell yourself a little story. Mm-hmm. And there's even a modern board game, uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights, that like takes that and pushes it to the nth degree. If you like, people either hate that game and say it's not a game, or they love it, and it's just this sort of roll and move game that comes with this huge book of really well written Arabian Nights style paragraphs, 
And the great thing about the Arabian Nights is in the actual stories, yeah, like you turn into a duck and then you marry a beggar. And they're like, they're like dream sequences. They, mm-hmm. you know, that this board game accurately kind of mimics these insane tales. So it's like Candyland for adults almost? Yeah, basically, right. Because if you're trying to, there's a win condition, but like, who cares? Right. Like, it's very much about playing that out. And yeah, and I think Monopoly has that going for it. The little, you know, the, the secular zodiac of the little tokens you know everyone i'm the shoe you're the wheelbarrow whatever and identifying with that in some abstract way and yeah i mean i think there's there's a lot going on in a way even in the the version i would consider unstrategic so how does the gold standard possibly relate to the popularity of monopoly um i think that going off the gold standard certainly would you know in the course of the great depression just right Obviously, I know. Clearly, I know everything about economics. Some people might not understand. What does it mean going off the gold standard exactly? I mean, as far as I understand, you know, that that – you're not necessarily keeping gold in the Federal Reserve that every – bill you print is keyed to mm-hmm. that in some you know that the this is again like this abstraction process right. like with the games you know like first the money is really just a check for an actual physical object i.e the gold and then it sort of becomes a free floating signifier uh so and, we went we, right. we stopped doing that right we at some point in the late teens 20s i i I know it was, a, yeah, going off the gold standard was a controversial thing. I don't mm. know enough about it. But okay. I, I saw a community chess card that said, that was pro, because it said, we're going off the gold standard, like, you get 50 bucks. Um, and it just made me think that, like, yeah, if I was in a world where all of a sudden someone told me, like, A, the economy is totally fucked, and B, uh, money is just sort of, it represents what this government that doesn't quite necessarily seem to know what it's doing you know, it's full faith in the in God we trust thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of anxiety might make me want to play a game of luck that is about accumulating vast sums of money. Like, you know, I, again, I don't have like a coherent empirical theory here. But it's that, there, that's though. How like, it, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. surely there that are cultural card, forces right. at work here. Yeah, I wanted to show people that card in a slide. Yeah. And so I had to say something. <laughs> uh, I know the feeling. I know the feeling with uh, jokes, which actually kind of brings me to this other point. So I love... I, I always try to push Monopoly into, like, jokes and comedy we do. Not mm-hmm. always, but, like, I think it's the perfect uh, subject for comedy because I've I found, anyway, like, I don't... Yeah. I, and you no, see, I agree. You see tons like of people doing it. There's, 12 Onion articles about Monopoly. Well, that's what I want to get to, and we've done a million of them, too, um, at College Humor, and it's because it's this game with kind of elaborate, interesting rules that everyone, everyone has complete familiarity with, you know? Um, so you can make a joke about... To win twenty dollars in a beauty contest, and everyone in America gets that joke. And there's just like all these little hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your speech, you actually you did a great job, I think, using the onion and not college humor. That's just fine. Uh, of course, the onion's obviously incredible. And uh, you know, to, and some a lot of the Monopoly articles that they've done over the years. And I thought they all, I thought they were all interesting because the onion's so good, and like they all kind of reveal something like this truth that we have about the game. So I kind of want to go through those and talk mm-hmm. about what what they're getting at with them. So one. What's more fun than reading Onion headlines? One was <laughs> winning dad forces tired child to finish Monopoly <laughs> yeah. game. So That's I think there's the a core one. There's a lot of funny things about that. One yeah. is this perception that Monopoly never ends. And you actually have you cite a paper in your speech about uh, these I guess they're math students, I don't know mm-hmm. what they were who did a statistical analysis of the odds of a game of Monopoly never ending. Right. And or we- like at 
what money differentials should just make you say, yeah, this this money is just going to slosh back and forth. No one's going to get bankrupt. So what did they find? What what were the results? Oh, I'm trying to remember the exact. Basically, if if the differential is under six hundred bucks, someone's going to go down. If it's between like six and twenty two hundred, you know, it could go either way. More than twenty two hundred, give up or something like that. Right. So there's like there's like an answer to like. Right, right, right. And this is where the putting money under free parking problem comes in. Right. And again, where the one irony that I was trying to make with that talk was by pointing out that the the option of buying property is the money under free parking of its time. Mm. That it it dumbs the game down, it makes it, everyone wins at the beginning, but it makes it go on forever. If you have the auctions, once someone's going for that third property of a color, all the money is getting drained out of the oh, system wow. really fast. Because either they're going to pay a thousand bucks for it, or someone's going to, you know, they're going to bid someone else up to 900 and then leave them hanging. So when you play Monopoly, do you finish it? If I play Auction Monopoly, it always finishes. And how long does that take? Hour. Oh, that's not I mean, bad. It's it, like Catan time. Because, right, right. I mean, it's, it's got about the same arc, right? And uh, But right. I mean, the, the, problem, the problem with Monopoly uh, as it currently stands is that there's there's no way to trigger an apocalypse, basically. Like, if you're losing, there's no option to be like, well, let, let's go down on a blaze of glory. One right? of the great things about Catan, and this is true of Dominion and, like, most even remotely decent mm-hmm. board games, is that, like, it ends. Like, Catan but, has a very, like, Scrabble, like, Scrabble, like, here's how many tiles are <laughs> left. When we're yeah, out of tiles, yeah. that's the end of the right. game. And the funny appeal of Monopoly is the sadism of it, right? That, and this is something... Well, it's so slow. Like, you don't right. just, you don't pin your opponent. Right. You just grind them down turn by turn. But that's the thing turn. about that dad. That dad is getting his revenge. I don't know what the kid yeah. did. But, but forcing someone to play a game when they don't want to and they know they're going to lose. Yeah. It's horrible. But it is a stake. And this is one point Garfield makes about a Monopoly is that modern game designers are very against elimination. Um, but as he points out, yeah, elimination has its big problems. But on the other hand, it does give a game that's not being played for money stakes, mm-hmm. right? And you don't want to get knocked out of risk because then you've got to sit around for two hours for or whatever. a long time. Right, which sucks. But – and if you can balance it and King of Tokyo, his game – uh, is like a, a half-hour game that involves elimination. Mm-hmm. So that's you know probably that's better than a shorter so game. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, By the way, qu- quick aside, have you yeah. played Risk Legacy? I know. The other people at the Game Center uh, have a game going that I missed because I was gone it's, when they it's started like, it. Like and once they started it, in. right, exactly. It's an interesting... So, uh, I know. I'm, I'm fascinated by yeah. that. Uh, and that's... there's um, But yeah, I, 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 I think... That, yeah, there's a weird cat playing with a mouse joy that some people get from forcing that, that, like, this will end when I say it ends. Can you you play Monopoly with two people? Yeah, it's not a great... uh, The auction version is actually okay with two people, Mm -hmm. but I would definitely not... How does the auction work with two people? Because... Can't. It just goes up and up and up. Right. I mean, someone like basically every price is really low until someone's about to complete a monopoly, and then and then you're, you know, right. it's a pretty short game and it's not interesting because you can't do these three way trades, but you you're basically playing this stock market game of like, can I get this before mm-hmm. I bankrupt? I saw a video game version of Monopoly once on Xbox, maybe I think it was mm-hmm. Monopoly Party. I mean, there's like three monopolies for every console that's ever existed. Yeah. Um, and which is kind of neat the way that it's like started in the 1900s and like still exists. I'm sure the iPhone pop version, which you mentioned a lot in your speech, is very popular. I'm sure they've made a million dollars on that. So I think I've told this story before on the podcast. I'm sorry I only have four anecdotes and one of them is about the Monopoly game on the Xbox. But so there's a mode where all the players take their turn at once. <laughs> so it's like everyone goes and you're just in the corner and it's like it's just you're looking at your corner right. and ask you buy or you want to buy or not. Everyone makes that decision. Once everyone's made the decision, you go again. And if two people land on the same thing, I think that triggers mm-hmm. an auction. 
And the game takes like 10 minutes flat because it really makes you realize how empty Monopoly is because like when everyone's just going at once, I mean, you're just taking four turns at once. The game's going at this turbo speed plus the computer's managing the income and the, um, you know, just counting the money and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So the whole game, like within two minutes, you can see who's going to win. It's it's crazy. It's like uh, it's like a mathematical proof that Monopoly is not fun. Like it really like right, just like right. You can boil it down. You can boil the choices down. And I think I don't think I did this in the Parsons version, but in the original talk, I like actually had a cut together a video of like here's me playing a game of Monopoly on my iPad where I've only cut the the parts where I was making a meaningful choice. Mm -hmm. And like the the full game took me 25 minutes, and like this was about. 30 seconds mm -hmm. um and yeah but but it's a the thing that got me interested in the first place going back to the folk games was i actually didn't know any of this history i was looking at monopoly and just saying well i make games with regular decks of cards i had this uh thing in indicate with chips and dice and like here's an object everyone owns if you just made a good set of rules for it like that's a good thing right, for the yeah. world and that made me start being like oh people actually did like i was first trying to come up with my own ideas and i started doing the research more for creative reasons and historical reasons uh and i was like oh like actually people figured this out and That's then they cool. unfigured um anyway my, was, my uh, friends yes. and i have a, a custom version i can't believe i'm going down a big go, big sidetrack custom version of sorry we play a lot mm. of i might have talked about this too we're getting to 100 episodes people i'm gonna be repeating myself uh sorry we have custom rules that we kind of they're sort of in the instructions. We sort of like flesh them out. Mm -hmm. The thrust of it is that, uh, so you're familiar with Sorry. Yeah. Um, so instead of, uh, usually it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's everyone for themselves. There's four people in a corner. You turn over a card and you do what it says. Instead, we play two teams. You and the person across from you are on a team and you're playing the other two people and you win and lose as a team. When all eight of your pieces get in home, that team wins. When all that, if, you got to get your right. foreign home. I got to get my. If you just get right. your foreign home, like we Doesn't don't win. Count, That's right. not the end which of the game. is basically the ancient game, the original game of Parcheesi is a team game. Oh, really? Where you off to get this is the thing. Is well, the, keep, let me right, tell you the right, other right. rule okay. is instead of just flipping over a card, you have mm -hmm. a hand of five cards, and in every turn you play one and pick one up. So there's mm -hmm. a lot more decision. And it's right. great because it, it's a really good balance where. Uh, you it's simple enough that you can play it while you're drinking, but mm -hmm. it's like complicated enough that like it, it will hold your attention. Right, and that's exactly what everyone should do with all their games. Is mm -hmm. like if it's if it's too hard, make you know everyone one purpose of the game center. You know how many of the people we teach at the game center are necessarily going to go on and have a profession in game design? I don't know. Um, a lot of people are just taking a class along, you know, but they're film majors or there's mm -hmm. whatever. And one thing I try to impart. Like a good life skill to go out with is knowing basic game design so that if you have a, a copy of Sorry, you can turn it into a game that you enjoy, right? That that you're not going to do the money under free parking. Mm -hmm. move. You're, you're going to think about the rules you come up with and tweak it a little. But, yeah, that's what everyone should do. So The other interesting thing about that onion, now I'm glad I got my Sorry rules out there. Another thing, oh, just two more. If you yeah. Sorry someone, you have to say Sorry, but you don't have to mean it. <laughs> and if you slide, you have to make a noise when you slide. That seems yes. very strictly enforced. No one knows what happens if you don't do it. Like, there's no like if you don't do it. Like you, you we just right, like right, oh, right. oh, oh you block. didn't make the noise. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's just bad karma. Uh, and every game ends in a celebratory four way <laughs> high five. Those are all the rules. Okay. The other thing about that onion article is that uh, the it's that that family aspect again, and like yes. kind of like the family being miserable together. Yeah, no, it, I mean, I started thinking. I mean, back when I, guess I was for kids, it's like you're doing an adult thing with your parents. Right. That's kind of fun. handling money. Right. Uh, you have it. And it's there's enough luck in it. And there's, you know, there's a rubber banding 
of like like in Mario Kart where you get bullet bill if you're behind in Monopoly like mom just gives you a property for a dollar or something right. you know like oh, like that's the worst when someone's like leaves and they just like sell all their property right right and a fire yeah, yeah. A king makes through yeah right. and, there, and there's and I'm sure I mean Monopoly. I'm sure is a proscenium for a lot of family trauma. I yeah. mean, you know, and its structure, like the fact that it starts so happy where everyone's winning at first because you're all getting property. So, I mean, it's sort of a Venus flytrap for kids where you, for the first half hour oh, hey, to hour. I got all this property. Yeah, it's, it seems really fun. And then once you're invested, doom, right? Mm -hmm. Then then the pain starts. And that's a, I mean, I think people have strong memories of it. I don't know if it's fond. I think they're complicated memories, but I think there are probably a lot of times where they got out some anger at some other family or something mm -hmm. you know someone flipped the board and you know all right let's move on here mm -hmm. uh this one is a commentary so commentary i feel like you can't read these out loud like they're obviously I'm, i apologize to the onion writers commentary as long as you are in my house you will play by my monopoly rules yes gets to some you kind of the thrust of your speech how everyone has their own rules yeah uh, and they have suzerainty in their in their domain, right? That that you you if you are the, the master of the house, that if every, you know every time you land on Baltic Avenue, you have to you know sell a house or you know whatever. Okay, that's your game. And yeah, the rules in there are kind of pretty hilarious, and and some of them are you know ones people actually play with, and then some are just onion things. In your Monopoly research, did you study the professional tournament scene at all? I did. I mean, I looked at it. There's a documentary that focuses yeah, on it more. It, but I've enough that, that i get the gist yeah. kind of thing did you watch the documentary yeah i'll cover you it's pretty good and, what and rules yeah. do they use is what i'm wondering do they, they play do, with the auction rule no i mean they play with the you know the parker brothers hasbro rules although they also use the speed die now uh, which is i mean this is the, i've never even played right, with it i okay. just present its existence where's speed uh, here's how monopoly sucks and and I will not be making friends in the Monopoly tournament community by saying this. And let me preface this by saying that in that documentary, you actually see a lot of good things come out of this game. And, and where Monopoly, as played, is a great mathematical exercise for a bright class of seventh graders to, like, there's the lack of choice in the game is actually great mm -hmm. for sort of wrapping your head around a system and optimizing it. Um, and there's plenty of good uses for it. However, the thing about tournament Monopoly that, would make me run the other direction is that most of the strategy comes from essentially glitching the game. I mean, glitching like in Mario Kart, like mm -hmm. figuring out how you drive through a mountain. So right? what are the glitches that you exploit? The in glitches you exploit in, in Monopoly are the fact that, um, well, the one everyone discovers on their own, which is at least kind of charming and nice, is that you want to be in jail. Why? Because, I mean, after a while, once all the properties are... Because uh, you you still collect money, but you don't have to ever pay rent. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in any of the rules I've seen that explicitly you know, deals with, like, maybe the money should go to the bank because you're in jail or, like, some <laughs> thematic, you know. But given that there were other thematic ties, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the variants had that. That's always struck me as, like, a borderline case. The ones that I find really dubious are you not only, you know, there's a limited number of houses, which, okay, you know, the game comes with 32 houses, you have 32 houses, and even in some of the older versions from the 20s, you see, like, a thematic justification for this of, like, it's boom time, so there's only so much construction material. So, okay. like, they're thinking. Um, but to, if you want to build a hotel, you have to build four houses, like, before you get the hotel, right. even if you're spending all the money and going straight to hotel. Mm -hmm. So one of the great strategies of Tournament Monopoly is depriving people of houses so that they can't get to the Just hotel. Just because there's a finite supply. Just because there's a finite supply, and if you can keep them from being able to, right, get to right. the hotel. I mean, it's just... 
that's not just, fun. That's fine, not fun. But right, it's it's glitching and it kind of slows down the game. And it's it. But you see right. that like at high level. Well, not so much with competitive esports where it's like mm-hmm. um, League of Legends or Street Fighter. I, I think there, there's not glitching, but you definitely see it in. I think. Well, just the idea that it's not fun. You see in like a lot of the Twin Galaxies, like people striving for score like the people sure. that are competing for the donkey kong record are playing donkey mm-hmm. kong in a way that humans right. were clearly not intended right. to play donkey kong yes um and they're like really pushing the fun out of the game and just like exploiting every little thing they can find right. um and i think like a lot of those high score chasing you know a lot of it's just about like finding the bug yeah. if you jump here this thing lands there um and it's just I, I don't know saying that they're taking the it just seems like they're taking the fun out of it yeah i mean i almost like the the donkey Kong. i mean that thing more because then it's a single player you versus you're basically hacking a program at that point right and that's, i can see why that's sort of interesting uh whereas a competitive board game against mm-hmm. other people i mean everything's interesting if you look at it the right way but i would not want to play tournament monopoly because the number the amount of choice you're making is still pretty limited although you know the trading certainly knowing the values of things is is valuable and is the most skillful part of the game but the other sort of uh exploits the the speed die introduces a very just sort of i don't even know what it is right. but i just know a year or two ago they started into yeah the it's, speed die it's a thing that now. you roll it and it, it it speeds up the game because you it go seems to like the, a band-aid like without, yeah, without opening exactly. the box or knowing what it is it yeah, seems like yeah. the game's broken and like the speed die is not going right. to fix it 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 fixes in the sense of you go to the next unowned property if there is one or when they're all bought you go to, I think the next owned property so you're either getting stuff real fast or paying out money real fast but it adds its own completely um, man I hate to use Kinesia esque as a as a derogatory term mostly because no one will know what you're talking right, right. about it it does seem like okay Rainer Rainer Kinesia is a German game designer who comes with these great mathematical formulas that he wraps a theme around or not wraps loosely drapes a theme on mm-hmm. um and he's very very prolific is yes the thing I yes about him. he's i love his game uh i played it on the iphone a lot samurai is it mm-hmm. something it's something like that is it samurai yeah samurai samurai yeah, is yeah. great that that's a really, a really good game. game yeah i mean and that's and that one is like he varies but i mean there are games you'll play by him this just makes me as a comparison just the speed die is one of these okay there's a strategy there mathematically like you can think through mm-hmm. like how to utilize this thing but it has nothing to do with the game as it stood and it's not interesting yeah, it doesn't in particular. Seem, yeah, right. I mean, part and, of what's fun right. about Monopoly is the theme, and it seems like the speed die kind of breaks exactly. that. It's like, what does that represent? Right. One thing I always, you know, one reason I'm doing this course on, on this guy, Vlado Travacchio, is that his games, like Mage Knight, is a perfect example of a game that is incredibly complicated, but is also th- so thematically tied through and so coherent thematically that it acts demonically to help you remember all the rules that's and strategy because cool, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. And it feels good to be able to keep that thing in your head mm-hmm. and and his ability to use humor and wit and this sort of metaphorical resonance to make it easy to easier to learn this otherwise incredibly complicated game is is really valuable to me and I think what's one of the most interesting things about modern board games. Theme matters. Yeah. Theme matters a lot when you get theme congruent with interesting strategy, mm-hmm. right? When you have a game that both feels good and just makes an interesting story. Like you'll read people describing games of Mage Knight on Board Game Geek where they turn it into like a, a short story. And it's quite entertaining if you know the game because you can see how everything happened and it kind of makes sense. I'm actually weighing down my mic stand, I don't know if you noticed this, with this enormous Catan book that I'm never going to oh, read. There is a yes. Catan novel yes, that I, is not how to play. It's like takes place novel on the about, island. There's a lot of Catan games. Really? Uh, novels? No, no, no. Games, games. But, but, and, and spin-offs. Yeah, and this is like a book yeah, about yeah. like, it's not like strategy. It's right. like, 
now. It's the world. Yeah, it's, it's about the world. The world and it of is Catan. really long, and it was not originally written in English, so I'm not especially inclined to be reading it. But I keep it in my office anyway. I know there's... I don't know if it's that Catan novel, or there's a... I think there's a board game based on this novel, which is amazing loop. Yeah, so uh, yeah. there's a board game based on the characters. Oh, because he's like Candy or something. On the novel, right. That yeah. I, There's a segment, when I do the Settlers of Catan part, I have not played, like, there is maybe a 45-second part of my lecture where I show 30 slides, where mm-hmm. I just bombard the kids with, like, That's yeah, here's the Catan Empire. You've got the kids' version, you've got the Stone Age version, you've got the, like, Bible version, yeah, you've got the novel, America you've got one. the board the, right, the trains across America. The, um... Yeah, it, it's, it's. I heard the kid one's good. The kid one's I, good. I yeah, don't no, have no, children, no. so I'm not. I'm right, never gonna right. have it. But like, I've heard it like maintains it, and kids yeah. like it. I have a few reviews of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's an interest. But it, and it's interesting to see. Anyway, uh, tubers, well, empire. All right, let's keep going through these headlines. Next one: Federal judge rules Parker Brothers holds monopoly monopoly. And I thought this one was interesting because, as you pointed out, uh, and the I don't think the authors realize this. This actually happened. Yeah, this is the this is the fact. Well, Hasbro now because Hasbro owns Parker Brothers but along th- with could, everything. This could but have yes. been. This is a factual headline. headline. This is a completely... So what was that case? The Monopoly Monopoly case was... was, Okay, that guy I mentioned earlier, Ralph Onspock, Mm -hmm. right, is a economics professor, I think, in California. Uh, In the early 70s, um, he decides he wants to make kind of a Monopoly parody called Anti-Monopoly, which takes the rules and sort of inverts them and is, is, you know... Clever satire. You could make. Monopoly. You could probably right. find a dozen of those. I remember the Mad Magazine board game yeah. was also a parody of Monopoly, where yep. you're trying to lose your money. Lose I bet there's a money. dozen exactly. ma- board games that are just parodies of Monopoly. Yes, anyway, and keep- and he um, he markets this, and it, it starts becoming somewhat successful, and then. Uh, you know, uh, Parker Brothers serves him with an injunction or basically says, you know, you can't make this game. You're going to have to burn all your copies or whatever. Onspock is a, seems like a very tenacious kind of guy. Um, and, and it's almost a stroke of luck that Parker Brothers does this because he then goes out across the country and finds, like, he starts hearing that there's these old versions, and obviously he now has a very strong vested interest in in showing where Monopoly Roy comes from, that maybe it wasn't Charles Darrow who invented this game out of whole cloth, as Parker Brothers had been claiming for the last 50 years. Um, and again, going back to that fancy version of Lizzie McGee's Landlord's game, uh, they sort of bought her off, right? They made some of her games and then sort was of she shuffled happy? her aside. Was she dead by this point? She was unhappy and then dead hmm. in that order. That, so that ended that. Yeah. Ended that. yeah. Problem um, solved. Right, right. I mean, you know, they, they paid her money and they did produce the game, but they definitely kind of gave her the shaft. Yeah, so, I, mean, she's, right. I mean, God, how much money they made on Monopoly? Like, She did not get a cut. Yeah, yes, yeah, like yes. over 100 right. years. did, yes. Uh, well, I think one title of on Spec's book is The Billion Dollar Monopoly Swindle. So uh, that probably... That sounds right. Right. So, so he goes out and... As I said, it's kind of a stroke of luck in a weird way because he finds all these 70 to 80-year-old people who played Monopoly and have these wooden boards, et cetera, that um, no one has heard from. And, you know, that would have probably died if and without anyone knowing the story if they hadn't sued him and he hadn't uh, tried to track them down. And so he he assembles the case of, like, you can't, you know, this game existed with the name Monopoly before you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he basically goes to the Supreme Court, wins the case, and then Congress passes some very fuzzy little law about trademarks that protects things that have sort of already become trademarks, even if they weren't like Kleenex. In response to this, kind of like how yeah. we extended copyright for Steamboat. Yeah, Wave yeah. More recently? Pretty much. It's one of those. Mm-hmm. And and so Onspock still... Was, Steamboat Willie was going to enter public right, domain and right. like 
that year, like, you know, Disney... Sonny Bono s- Amendment or whatever. There was, some lo- yeah. there was a lot of yeah. lobbying, particularly from Disney, to, like, mm-hmm. extend... Co- and, lo- you know, lo and behold, right. Mickey Mouse that, that, still not it does, it, it does a nice job of demarcating the modern era of property ownership with Mickey Mouse, I suppose. That, like, How appropriate. Right. Mickey Mouse Monopoly. Yeah, they're just going to keep extending that law. And Mickey on. Yeah. That's, that's when things are owned. Uh, but Monopoly existed before then even. And, and so it's, you know, this is something I'm working on in an academic context, partly because, you know, I'm not up for taking on Hasbro in a, you know, like making a copy and trying to sell it on Kickstarter or something. I've, I've thought about that, but... A, I'm not interested in the hassle, and B, I feel like if you get this story out and if, if people are trying, you know, it's very easy to adopt a commercial Monopoly set uh, to playing any way you want. And honestly, like, I don't care, you know, if Hasbro made an old-timey Monopoly set, like, they make decent board games. It'd look fine. Yeah, I have the old-fashioned Sorry and Twister. Yeah, my yeah. The old-fashioned I mean, Sorry is the only decent. Let me tell you, the new Sorry board is hideous. It's got all this gloss. You got you to yeah. get the old-fashioned yeah. one, yeah. Comes in the wooden box. I've seen it for Monopoly too. I think they do it for a lot of their games that have been around right. for like, you know, 50, 75 years or whatever. But this kind of segs into the next Onion headline I wanted to read, which is maybe the last one too, which is Monopoly releases special regular Monopoly edition. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it's a secret. There's a million editions of Monopoly Star Wars Opoly, Nintendo Opoly, Simpsons, Opoly, just literally everything under the sun. You had a lot of funny examples. Uh, in your speech, uh, what Doxinopoly stood out to yeah, me is like, yeah. what is what's like Boardwalk the on theme Doxinopoly? Is my favorite one of those. Dogopoly, I right. get. What is the like? What's Boardwalk on Dogopoly? Yeah. No, there was one where all the properties like house building Monopoly. So all the house, all the properties are like you know drywalling uh, or and it was just well, it's the so abstraction easy to parody because yeah. it's like make a list of thirty things, rank right. them from least important to most, four missile, four mm-hmm. things that are unconnected for the railroads. Right. Bunch of funny community chess cards. It makes total sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I get and I get the it. local right. I'm sure there have been a lot of lot of oh, totally. arguments in in Boise, Idaho, about who got Boardwalk and who yeah, got Park Place. Absolutely, and the there local was a, businesses. Cranford, there's a Cranfordopoly. Right. Yeah. So how do all those exist? I know some of them are made by Hasbro. Yeah. It's it's again this sort of gray area where a lot of them are licensed directly from them. And I mean the thing is is I think Hasbro has I mean legitimate as far as copyright is legitimate for this long period, but they have a legitimate copyright on the design. Right on, like again, uh, Darrow did kind of use that beautiful cable-heavy font, mm-hmm. and you know made the color bars. Yeah, it's a classy-looking game. It's a classy-looking game. There's certain aspects of it, you know, the 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 icons for all the different things he Mr. came Monopoly. up with, Mr. Monopoly, right? The the railroad silhouettes, etc. Like um, those are things that are more or less rightly owned by them, and. Um, there, so if you look at one and you see that like the color bar up top isn't a bar but is like a weird funky triangle type thing, that's probably someone oh. making a opoly. You know, they they don't necessarily have a license, but but the the, the it's hard to broadly uh, patent game design elements to begin that's with. That's my so, understanding, right. and you let me tell yeah. you how I understand it. You tell me how yeah. I'm wrong. Is that you can't copyright the rules, and that's why Words with Friends exists because you can't. Copy and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell me how I'm right, right. right. You can't copyright the rules of Scrabble. The words with friend board doesn't look like the Scrabble board. It's got right. a di- the the double and triple things are in different positions. It's a little bit of different design, and that's how they get away with that. Is, is like the- everything with IP. It's fuzzy. My, I mean, there's certainly patent. Like you'll find the patent for the Monopoly rules or the landlord mm. rules. You'll find you know Richard Garfield has a patent on tapping, although I don't think he's very strict about enforcing you know this or whatever but back in the day mm-hmm. like you'll see you know and there was even recently turning a case, cards 90 degrees is as bad as represent yeah you know with some uh, yeah language. yeah i can right, see right, the right. picture with like yeah. the arrow and like right, figure right, one right. figure two that. yeah uh and 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good mechanic. Right. It and and I think that if if it's really close, right, that that you can have some issues. Some Tetris clone got taken down or something. But then what about right. Words with Friends, which seems like the clearest it's example? It's pretty close, but the board is different, and the board being different does influence the strategy of that game a lot. I would argue maybe for the worse than mm. the scrap, whatever. But you know, it isn't. It's 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 really close, but like in fashion, I think that in the IP in games is pretty open for mm. now um and probably for the best i mean i'm no zynga fan but like someone coming up like again let a thousand flowers bloom like whatever's good people will play yeah and uh yeah and and one thing with games is that no one's ever optimized a game space like you know you look at dominion again i hate that goons card like vaccarino played more dominion than anyone has probably ever played anything mm-hmm. like and and took it very seriously like he yeah he writes articles i'm sure yeah yeah, yeah. i've like read the, the articles, articles are great and and really tell you an yeah. enormous amount but yeah, i can so he, right. the game designer writes these articles right. about each card the various uh iterations he went through why it used to do that, but now does this, right. and like it's very yeah. interesting if you're right. And but uh, you can you can still, <laughs> and that's the thing is like that's almost the pinnacle of like that level, and you can still nitpick. You can still say, yeah, cursors are too strong. Like yeah, if you look, mm-hmm. they're all at the top of the power rankings. Well, like not to, but but uh, go off on you know nitpicks on Dominion. But my point is more the the game space of creating a game is so infinite, so transfinite that you're never going to come up with the optimal version, no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. And allowing people to have, and th- that's one thing I like again about Dominion is I've just taken a few of the cards I don't like out of my set, and then I'll play with the rest, and it's a better game to me. Yeah. And all I had to do was remove, some, as I said, remove five hundred bucks from Monopoly. Boom, you you have a better game. Well, that kind of that kind of it seems like your ultimate goal here is you want to come up with a version of Monopoly that is more fun that people can play with the version with the pieces you're already buying in the store. You, you yeah. mentioned that a few or, times. I think there's no one goal. I think that. Another thing with early Monopoly that's totally cosmetic but makes it kind of better, uh, the ones, fives, and tens were chips instead of bills. Okay. Just a lot easier to hit. Like, you know, it it, it gets past that tipping point of, like, just drowning in money. I mean, things like that. So so what would you recommend if I've got a Monopoly set at home? You already mentioned starting with less money. Yeah. If you have a Monopoly set at home, I guess, okay, what I'd recommend is— I'm hell-bent on playing Right. You're hell-bent on playing I'm flexible on the rules, but I want to make all my friends play Monopoly. Your friends want to play Monopoly, and let's say you—your friends want to play Monopoly. You've played other Euro-type games since, and Mm. you're like, oh, geez. Okay, guys. I'll play Monopoly, but I want to try this variant. Okay. And here's a variant that, as a person who's like enjoyed Settlers or whatever, you'll find okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. The easiest thing to do is again, well, replace all the ones, fives, and tens with chips because they'll just be less annoying. Again, get poker cosmetic. chips or something. Yes, sure. Get yeah. some cheap poker chips. Uh, easiest thing to do is remove five hundred dollars from everyone. I mean, from it, your starting money. Yeah, just start with a thousand instead of fifteen hundred. It will change, and and as long as you're playing by the by the book rules with the auctions, if someone decides not to buy something, it will be a much more interesting game. And and the money that you're getting from landing on stuff will matter more, mm-hmm. you know. And you'll there'll be more luck, but it'll feel more exciting in that part because you actually care about getting that two hundred dollars because you don't have that much right now. Um, if you wanted to go hardcore and really try a different version. The, the one I like, which is sort of the midpoint between the classic, you know, folk version and the current is if you land on the property, um, there's an auction. Whoever pays the most gets it. Uh, you have to bid $10 higher at least, uh, whatever. Uh, but it only goes around once and you're the last person, right? So that way you do get a little zing from being the 
person who lands on the property, mm-hmm. which is lacking in that more cerebral yeah. early version. It also prevents the auction from going on forever or ever. And as the person who landed on it, you do have the choice to buy it ultimately if you're willing to pay at least $10 more than everyone else already said. At this point, my friends are like, fine, we'll just play this settlers thing you keep talking about, whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> so yes, you can use it as, as a bargaining chip. But I mean, I would say... You'd be surprised at how much better game it is if you just start with less money because then the auction rule becomes not this weird vestigial organ that there's a reason no one plays with because who cares? Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. This is kind of what I've been Mm -hmm. wondering the whole time is Monopoly's, for better or worse, America's game. I think maybe Scrabble calls themselves America's. Someone else probably calls themselves America. But like... It's like the baseball of board. Well, baseball's not even the baseball of sports anymore, but you know what I mean. It's yeah, like, no, it is America's board roll game. and move game. Yeah. That's our roll and move game. Everyone knows the rules. Uh, it's been that way for, it seems like, at least 50 right. years, maybe 75. Do you see that changing? I have a very skewed perspective because I'm a huge loser and I have all my friends who are huge losers and we're all into Catan and all these mm-hmm. other things, but I see them getting more popular in the mainstream. I really do. Um, I, but I have a skewed perspective. I don't know how much to trust right. that. Uh, do you see Monopoly like remaining king for another 75 years? I mean, there's an inertia element, obviously. There is a everyone knows how to right. play it, so it's easy everyone to break. Everyone knows how out. to play it and everyone right. And and every copy sold may not be played, right? You like a lot of those Simpsonopolies are probably just given as presents. So it's a and, great right, gift. Right. It's yeah. a great gift that no one's. It's not no actually tried. a good gift, but like I right. totally understand. It is a, a quote unquote it's great a gift. gift. Yes. Yeah. Um I don't know. I think like I found it interesting listening to the interview with Tuber that he didn't see much connection with Monopoly because I have always thought like, okay, like uh, um, here you have a game about building properties, right? Settlers of Catan is all about building and sort of building up where exciting things happen when it's not your turn is one of the real key pulls of Settlers, mm-hmm. which in fact is almost the best thing about Monopoly. It is really the first game where oh, yeah. it's more exciting when it's not your turn. I do feel a little more respect for Monopoly uh, I've gained a little more respect mm-hmm. over the past hour. That's an interesting point. Also, just that it was like it had resources. Like I guess I didn't realize I knew it was the biggest game, but I didn't realize right. that it, it really was as historically significant from a game design perspective. Yeah, that it did seem to invent that a it, lot of right. Core that she seems play. to have gotten her ideas from looking at the world as opposed to other games mm-hmm. for the most part, yeah, other than the core roll and move stuff. Um, and yeah, I think so. That, how else yeah. is Catan? I mean, there's building, right? right. Uh, there's trading. Mm-hmm. Trading is one of the keys. There's politics which is something people both love and hate about both games. There's a, there's a, a right. role-playing. That mm-hmm. That's what I really remember about talking to Klaus was uh, the role-playing element. And I was right. very surprised. I think the thing I, I really remember from that interview is that he um, he said that I always assumed he just had this idea about resource gathering and hexes, and then he like draped a theme around it. It was actually the opposite. He had mm-hmm. the idea of like Vikings landing on an island and then like worked from the story to figure out the gameplay. My point being Monopoly and Catan both have like they're not like Dungeons and Dragons role right. playing, but you do get to like, uh, and I actually said asshole to him, which I regret year and <laughs> years later. I think I said like, I get to be a shithead, I think I said yeah. in that episode. Uh, but you do get to be a shithead when you're playing Monopoly. Like even when you're a kid, you get to be like a little capitalist. And same with uh, Catan, where you yeah. get to like, you know, be a little rude and like kind of make some power plays, which you might or, which you might not do in your day-to-day life and like, you know, negotiate right. from position of power, which you may not get. And one reason I think both those games were theme matters in a game that has, and when I say politics, I'm using this actually kind of Richard Garfield's definition. Politics is when in a board game you can influence, you know, who wins and who loses basically based on emotions or, mm. or whining or whatever, you know. And uh, 
Garfield is is not a fan of political games because a he's basically solved them like he's just really, <laughs> he apparently is really good at looking like he's in second, and uh, and they all do kind of become the same game on some level and uh, you know with the you know the Mario Kart problem of you don't want to be in first you want to be in like you mm-hmm. know if politics is too strong then it just always becomes like don't look like you're in front game, um, but a little of it is a condiment which I think Monopoly and Settlers both have. Um, it can be really fun and it's especially fun when it's a thematic game because then the role playing works in parallel and also countering it right that you want to express your joy at crushing your opponents because that's sort of the fun of the role playing but if you do it too much everyone's going to gang up on you and take you down and that does make it you know those human elements become more interesting in both games games, games. that's a fun mechanic in Catan I mean, I guess if anyone's going to do it, the obvious choice certainly seems like a tan. It really does uh, strike a lot of balances where it's like complicated but very learnable. I always tell people when I'm trying. I think first of all, I think the cover of Catan does not do it any favors because like <laughs> yeah. it looks like so again like a dun- it looks like some weird Dungeons and Dragons Renaissance <laughs> Fair thing. Yeah, but browner. I mean, there's a it's there's a European status consciousness to a lot like Agricola, yeah. Kalis, a lot of these games like it's they just don't the style. have right. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, I always t- the, the way I always try to sell it is Monopoly has a space on it where when you land on it, you have to add up everything you own, mm-hmm. all your money, then figure out what 15% of that is. There is nothing like that in Catan. Right. Although I think they've removed that in the modern... No. I think now it's just straight up 200 maybe in the modern Who doesn't take right, the $200? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's no one bother. And it actually mm-hmm. was different in the old version. I won't go into that. Anyway. It was a little simpler. But yeah, no, it's... And that's, again, that's between a folk game and a designer game, mm-hmm. right? A designer game, unless it's made by a very eccentric person, is not going to have these just bizarre rules that are sticking off right. like a, a, a weird whereas a folk game often like evolution you do just end up with like yeah sometimes you get a turtle with two heads sometimes you know just yeah. weird things are going to happen and they'll stick in if no one knows so if anyone's going to do it it sounds like it would you agree it's going to be Catan? it's got the i don't know too. i mean it, it it fills that same right you've got the rolling it's, it's also right. similar like it's like right. it's, it's easy spatial. transition to me right it's spatial they're uh unlike dominion and unlike a lot of other euro games oh it's not going to be dominion no well right and but i'm saying like i think one appeal of monopoly and one underrated thing about roll and move games that in euro games is often absent is spatial knowledge being part of the game mm-hmm. right that you can see what's going on you can see who's in front who's behind etc cetera, etc cetera. um and that in Catan, you can look at the map and see what's going on and be thinking about spatial things that you know people gen- tend to be very intuitively good at in a way they're not intuitively good at mathematical things like you know we beat computers at go not because we're logical but because we spatially see things mm-hmm. um and yeah i think the It'd be like, right. What's interesting is what would maybe take, like Catan might take the sort of family board game spot, right? What might take that roll and move spot um, or that track game spot, which I am convinced will exist until humans are no longer humans. I mean, it it, is just built in. I'm thinking like when Apple's been around for a hundred years, but you said this stuff, it's been around for, right. And you you can see other, that game Talisman I mentioned is like the D&D nerds monopoly. Definitely when I was growing up, that was the game, probably more than monopoly from the ages of 09 to 14. I played a lot of Talisman and it has the same pluses and minuses in a lot of ways you don't sound especially pessimistic though about the future of monopoly like i kind of thought you might be like yeah it's out of here but you said i like- think that no i mean I, I i would hope i mean i'm hopeful that that people will start modifying it more 
or that that there might be sort of a renaissance of looking at it as a folk game rather than a commercial game. I do mm-hmm. think no, its days are not numbered as a commercial game because there's just so much capital. But, you know, does and, the copyright on it ever run out? Like, does it ever become? We'll see if copyright ever runs out. Um, yeah, I don't know these. Things. Right, right. I mean that uh, the, that'll it's been be the around question. for like if it was right. invented a hundred years ago. Just it seems right. like we right. should. Well, should that's be. why the rules and you can have those knockoffs. The trademark stuff would be 1933-ish. So it's 80 years, right? And Darrow died in the 70s, I think. Oh, it's 80 years after he dies, right? Right. So it's a good long time until that part becomes. But but again, you could make you could make your you just call it the landlord's game or whatever. Mm -hmm. If if I wanted you tomorrow, Jeff Opley, Jeff Jeff Rubin Show Opley. Yeah, yeah. And you want to have those old rules? That'd be fine. I mean, but to me, it's more about you know. There's a broader point, and one thing I always think about is. I grew up on Atari 2600 games, mm-hmm. which always touted the number of variations they had. Yeah, right? yeah. And there was an interesting linearity, because Variation 1 is the real game on mm-hmm. some level, because they put it first. But often your favorite was number 38. And like, that's mm-hmm. the one, you know, the one you played with your friends. Oh, yeah, I just hit the button 37 times, get to number, th- you know. And that sort of idea of, yeah, maybe there's sort of a core, ver- like, I think even chess. I would, I would like, you know, Bobby Fischer came up with the randomizing the back row of chess variant that oh. to me is way more interesting, oh, than, that's interesting. Than, than normal chess because normal chess if you want to get good it is a game of memorizing things or, so that's just like Bobby Fischer just like me and my friends inventing a new way to play sorry it's completely yeah. comp- right. no but it is but that's the funny thing is yeah it, it, it's basically him looking and going well I'm bored with that like these mm. are not the skills I feel like testing anymore I've kind of figured this game out I guess if you're Bobby Fischer um, but yeah if you I would rather play a version of chess where there's some random element you're reacting to because that's just my play style I'm, mm. I'm not much of an abstract strategy everything always starts the same I like Dominion because it's reacted yeah you know? totally you know and just the willingness to not look at a you know to to see this as a democracy of ideas that that it's if you want to change a game it's your job to understand how game design works and maybe you take a course on it or maybe you read garfield's book or whatever because if you don't you will just ruin the game um or maybe you'll learn something from that but but if you do have a good sense of that that it's it's almost your job if you don't enjoy a game to make it a game you do enjoy that's fun. That's a little fun game in and of itself. Yeah. And modding, you know, this is something in video games mm-hmm. like like League of Legends comes from a mod to another game. You know, right, that, that right. this is very Counter-Strike comes from a mod to Half-Life 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's weirdly more of a relation there in video games than there, there is in board games. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's cool that these board games still have a role in the mm-hmm. world of video games. Like, I don't think we're talking about, I don't think we have to, like, I think board games aren't going anywhere, even as video games get more and more popular and will continue to get more popular. And, you know, esports and all sorts of things that touch on video games get more and more popular. Uh, I think board games are always, always going to have this this role to be played. Oh, yeah. I think, and then once, it's funny because I, one reason I was very into traditional folk games studying those was it was kind of a reaction to, I'd say in the mid-2000s, you would look at commercial board games and you'd be like, this is really good, but like Lost Cities, Rainer Knizia's game is a perfect example of like, good game, you could play it with a regular deck of cards if you had a fifth suit. Mm-hmm. And there is that feeling of like, okay, man, like I'm going to spend 25 bucks to buy your slightly, you know, that... And and the materials are nice, but it's not wowing me. But what are you right. are you spending twenty five dollars on like him testing the rules? Yeah, and, yeah like, you are on the right, rule right, book, right, basically. Right. And you are, and that's fair. But there's also this aspect of if I'm going to buy a physical object, I want it to be I want it to justify its toyness. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah, and, yeah, it's fine. And I think in more recent games, you're seeing. Right, that that you would not want to play this as a computer game as much. I mean, 
there's, for instance, a, a recent iPad version of Agricola, mm -hmm. and I would rank them in the following. I would, I would first want to play Agricola with my little wooden meeples that actually look like sheep and cows and stuff. Now, I've actually never played Agricola. Agricola is a farming I've, I've heard of it. It's yeah, very yeah, popular. Yeah, it's, yeah. One of, it's one of the top-ranked games on Board Game Geek, which is mm -hmm. like essentially the ranking of what's the best board. Like, it's like yeah. the IMDb of board games. Yeah, yeah. Very it, it's, it's biased towards a certain kind of person who plays a lot of board games, but a as a list goes, it's certainly... It's, it's, it's like the Village Voice Jazz and Pop Paul. Like, right. You get the, so it's really high. Right, these are the people. Per a yeah. perpetual frontrunner on that list. Yes. I've never played it, so the one you're describing with the wooden sheep, that's like a right, fancy right. edition you have? Yeah, like you can buy a little... Like, it comes with, like, for the sheep are just little white blocks, mm -hmm. right? I'd rather play the iPad version than the version with the little white blocks. Oh, but okay. I would rather play the version with the actual things that look like yeah. sheep. Because, A, it's easier to remember what these 12 resources are when they look like what they are, but also... It's fun. Like, there's a physical tactility to picking up your little wood that looks like wood and putting your sheep in your little pen. Um, and that if you're going to double... I mean, I guess my point is, I, I, you would see the same thing in alternative comics, let's say, in the late 90s, 2000s, when webcomics started becoming big. But you also start getting guys like Chris Ware, right? You start seeing this very healthy... Look, if you want to communicate to people and just get your point across, you can do it for free on the internet. Mm -hmm. If you want to make a printed thing... Make a printed like be Chris Ware. Who's like Chris go. Ware? Chris Ware is the guy who did Acme Novelty Library and gotcha. Jimmy Corrigan, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and has done comics that are like bigger than me, and you know mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. like literally just physically. You know he did a a comic in lunchbox form. Like you, you buy it and you think it's just, just a, with them. I right. guess I guess like he's doing something because you can't doing something you can't do online because you can do so much exactly. online. Exactly yeah. right, right, right. That the physicality, the physicality of the object is integral to what he's doing. And mm. I think in more recent board games, you see more focus in good ways on recognizing, yeah, if we're going to get people to buy something, you're going to set it up and take all that time, there should be a payoff in terms of not doing this on a computer. And I think that comes down to the toyness of it, to, for lack of a better word. I got to tell you, you've almost convinced me to try Monopoly again. I'm a little bit tempted. I think like a lot of people listening are. How can people see your speech online if they don't follow Eric Zimmerman on Twitter? And Let's see. Ago, it's, I think it's out. on Vimeo. Uh, I'm, no, I'm working on, on a newer version of it, but that one will give you the gist for now. Mm -hmm. And basically now I'm sort of working on an academic paper where I tie all of the influences and just sort of am tracking the rules and how they change. But how can we find this stuff? How can we find you online? Uh, I am uh, on easiest found on Twitter. Jesse Fuchs is one word. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, and basically at the NYU Game Center, if you're, I'm actually teaching the Games 101 class uh, over the summer. I can't believe there's a Games 101 class. Um, I got it. So if I you want to sit in I, on the modern I, board game thing, this feel happened free with to Eric. I keep yeah, no, I heard to do that. It. I really want to sit in on at least the modern board game thing. Yeah, it, that it'll be fun. fun. I'd love to go to any of them. Yeah, it yeah. sounds so good. Uh, and um, and yeah, the the. I had games one uh, the next semester. I'm I'm very excited. I mean that guy Vlaga Chavakal. If I, let me spell it because there's no way you will get it. V L A A D A C H V A T I with a weird symbol L. That's uh, the first two weeks of the class is learning his name and spelling. Yes, it. that will be, and the rest of the semester will be playing them. And but yeah, if there's one guy I would say if you're interested in learning about modern board games, like mm -hmm. he is a very interesting guy. What and game would you start with? Because we said Mage Knights are complicated. I would, complicated. I would there, start with better gateway? I would start with Galaxy Trucker. Oh, I've considered buying that. Galaxy I, Trucker I is, 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 is a very nice combination of party game and strategic game. Is that a good game? And I, I was going to ask you to recommend a game yeah. that maybe we don't know about. And this is, uh, I think, a, this is not like a board game podcast. And as much as we've been talking about board games, like, I'm not, I've never played Mage Knight, I've never played Evercoil. I'm not like a, a high-level board game player, I'd say. What would you recommend right now? And you can take Galaxy Trucker mm -hmm. as an answer. 
Uh, for people who like, you know, want to play something, they played Catan. Like, what's a good next right. game? I would say, okay. If I mean, I, we talked about Dominion. Dominion. I certainly think Dominion. If you're interested in, if you like card games, mm-hmm. uh, and you like games where you're sort of putting together combinations of actions, if you played a little Magic at some point, we're like, okay, I like the gist of that at least. Yeah, I think um, lapsed right. Magic the Gathering players who like yeah, kind of miss yeah. it. I think and are like, I'd like to get, but you don't right. want to buy booster packs. You don't want yeah, to keep up and, with and it. See the ten thousand cards that have come out since then, right, and et cetera, right, et cetera. Right. And yeah, I mean, Dominion is is and it is also a game that you can play. Uh, like me and my mom play Dominion a lot. Like oh, that's, that's kind of the game when I go it's over there. Quick. Yeah, it's quick, and she. Um, and one nice thing about it is that um, you can kind of concentrate only on what you're doing and ignore your opponents at the beginning mm. and not do horribly. Yeah, which is an underrated thing in terms of of designing that's a game. Interesting. A that, lot of people, I think, think right. that's a fault of that game. I think it it's a little becomes a fault maybe later, and then little, you get the expansions. Yeah, it's a little. Right. That's true. The expansions add some more interactivity. Right. It's a little more interactive, I think, than people give it credit for because right. basically everyone has the same tools, and it's like right. who can figure out how to use these tools the best. You're not necessarily oh, yeah, com- yeah. getting in the way of the other person, right. but like you're racing with them to figure right. out how to use those. tools. Oh yeah, and it matters. And like even in the base game, if you don't pay attention to your opponent, like maybe you have a thirty percent chance of winning instead of a right, 70 right. if you had or whatever but like at the end you will have built something better than you started with so you kind of feel like a winner um even though you didn't win and like and you understand the game and like that's it one reason i think that makes a good gateway game maybe even better than settlers is because it gives you that ability to like almost play a little bit of solitaire at the beginning and then and then mm. dip your toe in in actually paying attention to the dynamics of give, it give me one more because we talked about Catan, we talked about okay. Dominion our, uh, the whole time yeah uh Galaxy Trucker uh, is a game where everyone in real time is picking up puzzle tiles from the center of the board and building basically a ship out of junk. Um, it's sort of like so building, you're like physically, you know, you're not, yeah, you're, you're, you're assembling tiles on a board. There's mm-hmm. a timer, and if you finish first, you grab the the number one tile, so you'll be in the front of the race, kind of, which is an advantage. Um, so that part's real time and kind of feels That's like kind of fun. Yeah, and and it, I'm already in. And and then it really is like you're building this junky go kart and then just pushing it down a hill. And see, like there's some choices in the second half of the game, but a lot of it is okay. Flip over a card. Oh, there are meteors. Now we're gonna roll dice and see where you get your ships get smacked. Oh, you got smacked in the part that is the only thing that connects half of your ship to the other half of the ship. It all floats off. Jesse, I'm going to love with you. I think as soon as we're done recording, we're going to go buy Galaxy Truckers. That sounds really it's, fun. It's enormously entertaining. And again, a game you can play with a, a wide variety of people. That's cool. Um, so, yeah. That's uh, awesome. Jesse, this was fun. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. We're shaking hands. They, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, I feel like we learned a lot. We learned not only... Does Monopoly suck, but exactly in what ways it sucks and how to fix it. Yeah. Very thorough. Thank you. Thank you so much for and coming. Come by, yeah, come by the Game Center. And I got to do that. playing as many of these uh, Chavadol games as I can oh, before man. I have to teach the course. That's the so only way I'm ever going to play Mage Knight. Yeah. Yeah. We'll set aside a weekend. Thanks again, man. <laughs> Thank you. That is it for this week's Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Gotta tell you guys, I did buy Galaxy Truckers. You heard me. You heard my brain making the decision to purchase that game, and it was a good one. It was a solid recommendation. I played with a lot of friends uh, that aren't particularly into learning new board game rules, uh, and it's been a hit. Been a hit. It's a fun one. Galaxy Truckers, thank you once again, Jesse. 
no new Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show next week. First week of the month, which means I am off. However, there will be a new bleep loop, so don't worry about that. It's going to be, um, oh, it's going to be a dog football game. And we actually haven't recorded it yet, um, but I have been playing around with the game a little bit. And it is, su- it's a dog football game. Jerry Rice, I think, is on the cover. Uh, and it's so much more of a football game than I thought it would be. There's like 175 plays or something like that. It's on the box. I'm not, I didn't just count them all. It's like, it's like a silly dog football game, but also it's got this absurd level of actual football in it. Uh, so definitely check that episode out. Also, I forgot to mention when we posted the episode about the Playboy Mansion that went up pretty recently. Uh, that episode has Mike Drucker, who has been on this podcast, and you know I think is one of the funniest people. So check those out. Wait two weeks for a new Jeff Room Jeff Rubin show in the second week of August. I will remind you when it's up. If you follow me on Twitter, where I imagine Rubin Show, on my Tumblr, JeffRubinJeffRubin.com, on my Facebook fan page, or JeffRubinJeffRubinShow.com, I am getting pretty good at saying all that fast and not forgetting anything. As we come up on 100 episodes, uh, I guess I better be getting good at it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you more next week. Bye. Oh, wait, I won't talk to you next week, but you get the idea. Bye.